Just the other day, my friend Dal asked if I ever considered doing a podcast on all the embarrassing things I've done in the pursuit of bird hunting. He said, all, like I would intentionally leave something out, or there were more than a few embarrassments to recall. I replied that it would be the shortest talk in the history of podcasts. Well, I thought about it for a while and decided that if I included all hunting and a little fishing, I could maybe pull an episode together. As we further reminisced, working our way through the one-upmanships of, yeah, what about the time, Dell constantly reminded me that the stories weren't about him or my other hunting buddies. I was only to incriminate myself. I was only to incriminate myself. The weird thing is, I don't think Dell even listens to my dog hunts. I finally cut him off when he was reciting examples that predated our first hunt together. It seems that Dell is even more eager than I to reveal flaws in my personality and rationalizations. I thought he had a more interesting life than to be able to recall clumsy affairs from my teens that I spoke of on sleepless pre-dawn drives to hunting destinations. I thought I was doing us all a favor by babbling just to keep the driver awake. You see, I met the two buddies I speak of often, Dell and Russ, when in my early 20s. We worked together in the John Deere foundry. I thought I was doing all of us a favor, entertaining them with silly and maybe a little dangerous adventures from my teenage youth. As I began writing a few notes, I realized that just maybe there were more than a few potentially embarrassing stories. I became concerned that if I rolled them all out together, you guys would question how I ever made it safely in and out of the field. So in an effort to maintain at least some respect from you, my listeners, it would be in my best interest to only include one or two stories in each of my future episodes. It's only fitting that I start out with a hunt with Dell. Any sensible guys would never have tried to drive an iced-over gravel road to the top of the steep ridge in the hills of southeastern Minnesota. We were going rough grouse hunting, and rough grouse hunting is serious work that begins on the ridge tops. Now, this wasn't just any old frosty road. That gravel I spoke of was covered with at least one half inch of ice. But even worse, the temperature was above freezing, and the ice was now wet. After sliding way too close to the deep ravine on the outside bends of a couple switchbacks, we realized that we weren't going to make it to the top. We, we exchanged wide-eyed uh-oh-oh-ohs from Saturday morning cartoons. My expression was meant to be more matter-of-fact, like a falling-off-a-roof realization of, this is going to hurt. I know how easy it is to accept a painful fate because I've fallen off of several. Dell's thoughts were more along the line of, my wife told me not to take our good car. You see, we realized that our ascent had stopped and our momentum had reversed. When Dell let off the gas, the car began drifting back down the hill, gradually picking up speed. When he would brake, his rusty old Plymouth would slide sideways toward the steep ravine. Then came the nervous laughter. Someone observed that the trees will probably keep the car from tumbling to the bottom. It was as much a question as a statement. This area was referred to as coolie country for a reason. Dell left the transmission in drive just to slow our descent, but the car was drifting around like a wind-blown Dixie cup on a frozen lake always drifting closer to the outside bend of the road. Did I mention the very steep ravine without even a plowed ridge to help keep us on gravel? 
I determined that the only safe way down was for me to walk along the side of the car and guide it down the hill. I found that with the wheels spinning, I could easily push the car around, but the ice was so slippery, I knew I wouldn't be able to keep my balance on the road surface. I would have to punch through the crusted snow on the ravine slope while keeping pressure on the car. This meant that I had to keep the car within about six inches to a foot of the outside of the road. We agreed that he would leave the driver's side door open so he could bail and I was to dive out of the way if I ever felt like I couldn't hold it. This was a moment when I realized the value Dell placed on my life versus the $700 he had invested in transportation. Surviving this event caused me to always refer to Dell as the guy with no respect for higher life forms. In fairness, I can't say much for myself. What kind of moron would volunteer to guide a side-sliding car down a switch-backed icy road while sidestepping in eight inches of crusty snow? I wasn't worried about the car overpowering me. As long as Dell left it in gear, the rotating tires on ice allowed me to push it without much effort. What I did worry about was tripping over a branch or rock under the snow and not regaining my footing before Dell's mule, as he affectionately named her, slid back and compressed me into a flattened-out cartoon character. We made it about halfway down the ridge to a level spot and chiseled the ice out from under the tires in the hopes that it would still be there when we returned. A few hours later, we sauntered back down the now-melted road with coats full of rough grouse, happy to see Dell's mule still perched where we left her. Hello, I'm Randy Shepard, and welcome to My Dog Hunt's podcast. I need to say a few words about some of my listeners. First, all of you who've contacted me with kind words about the podcast, I want you to know I really appreciate it. My goal has always been to encourage each of you to hunt more species in more states more often. Many of you have shown me that it's working. Landon, Wyatt, Marty, and several more. Please don't feel left out if I didn't mention your names. I'm visiting family in Illinois now, so I don't have any of my notes with me. I'd like to mention that listener Marty from Minnesota has put together a few pheasant hunting YouTube videos under Golden Sky. There's another guy from Wisconsin with videos under Pheasants in a Lab. I don't know that he's a listener, but if you like flushing dogs and pheasants, give him a watch as well. Then there's a guy who called me last September. I believe he was from Ohio. He explained that he would be heading out to hunt pheasants and quail in Kansas with a relative who was insisting that they were going to listen to podcasts on the entire trip. <laughs> Guy's kind of funny. <laughs> he said he considered drugging himself. He hated podcasts that much. Then in a moment of clarity, he thought that if he had to listen to podcasts for hours on end, he should try to find something he could bear. He called to tell me that he stumbled onto My Dog Hunts and loved the storytelling with helpful information sprinkled in. I hope he had a great hunt and would love to hear how that trip went. Wyatt in Nebraska let me know that my episodes inspired him to try prairie grouse hunting and he was successful on his first trip. Landon from Tennessee always hunted Kansas but was encouraged by my urgings to try something new. He hunted South Dakota last season the way it should be done on a first trip across much of the state and he had a great trip. You guys don't know how good it makes me feel to hear these stories. I'm happy for any small part I've played in your new experiences and successes. 
For all of you, please tell me more. There's another listener named Bob who also uh, participates on the Ultimate Pheasant Hunting Forum. Uh, I'd log on there every now and then, but I have to confess I don't spend enough I don't spend enough time there. But Bob mentioned uh, his favorite podcast is Recommendations, and he rated my dog hunts number one. Thank you for the kind words, Bob. I, I especially. <laughs> I especially like the way you said, I admit the guy's style is different. I see big influxes when people do that, especially on forums. So uh, in the interest of my continuing to do podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you're on a forum and you enjoy my dog hunts, let some guys know. I'd really appreciate that. I have to confess, I lied to you guys in the last season episode. I told you I was burned out on hunting the Midwest. This past season, I found that statement to be untrue. I made two trips to western Idaho bird hunting and another to eastern Idaho to spend the holidays with family. That's when I realized that what I am burned out on is driving so far to bird hunt. While so many writers swear that chasing chucker partridge is the pinnacle of upland bird hunting, I'm not convinced. After many trips to Oregon, Idaho, and Nevada over the past 12 years, I've learned that I had more fun chasing prairie grouse and pheasants closer to home. Don't get me wrong, I love it out there and will return. Maybe not next season, but soon. I doubt that I'll spend much time in Idaho. I'll go back to the area in Nevada and Oregon where I hunted with Bo beginning in 2011. I'm not dissing Idaho. My first hunt there was great. I just wandered around for seven days and shot pheasants, quail, huns, and chucker, even a couple of limits. But my hunt since have been mostly disappointing. First of all, Idaho appears to receive a lot more pressure than the areas I hunted in Oregon and Nevada. Maybe I've been too selective about where I hunted, but I like to rotate quail days in between partridge days. But I found few areas in Idaho with enough birds to take a limit and not feel guilty. The rangeland coveys in Oregon and Nevada were more populous and plentiful. That's one thing about chucker in Nevada. I've never climbed a hill in Nevada that didn't have chucker on it, and only once in Oregon. But I've climbed a lot of Idaho hills that didn't hold chucker, and I'm tired of not shooting chucker. I always feel like I have to say a few words anytime I mention limits. Eh, But I'm not going to now. Before I get started on South Dakota and Iowa bird hunting, I need to tell you about a new dog feeding regimen I began this past season. I fed both my Springers Yukonuba since I brought them home. I remember that when I was young, everyone fed Purina. I don't know that Purina stopped using high quality ingredients in their kibble, or maybe they never did. Or maybe we're feeding our dogs excess nutrients that they don't metabolize. Anyway, I stopped at a Walmart to pick up a few supplies and noticed in the grocery meat aisle they had 10-pound bags of chicken quarters for $8 a bag. That's 80 cents a pound. I was paying $1.50 a pound for Yukonuba. I've bought these chicken quarters at Walmarts from Idaho to Iowa, and they've always been close to that $8 mark. I had done some reading in the past from people who assembled their own dog food, and they said the single most beneficial item you can feed a dog is raw, bone-in chicken. We all know that when cooked, chicken bones splinter, 
but many don't realize that raw chicken bones just crunch up. A chicken quarter is the back half of the chicken split down the middle of the back, drumstick, thigh, and half of that back. They even leave the preacher's pocket intact. Oh, how I love preacher's pocket, like the pocket of cheek meat on scaled fish. Well, I switched from Yukonuba to Purina, a savings of $1.10 per pound. They get the same scoop of Purina, plus each dog gets one half of a raw chicken quarter. They held weight better through the entire season, and I'm going to have to reduce some of their kibble now, as they're starting to get a little chunky. If you decide to give this feeding a try, the easiest separation of the quarter is to simply cut through the drumstick and thigh joint but this results in a disproportionate serving on the thigh side. I cut from the back on the back side of the thigh and trimmed the bone down to the leg joint, leaving a good portion of the thigh meat on the drumstick. I don't weigh them, but have noticed that both dogs finish their yard bird at about the same time. At this rate, I get eight days of chicken for two dogs from an $8 bag. That's significantly less than I was spending, and chaos and mayhem do cartwheels at the door, waiting for the raw meat. I watch their stools for blood, and they've been fine. Another benefit to high-quality feed is they poop a lot less than they did, even with straight eucanuba. And their stools are dry and firm. That's a nice benefit when you're barefoot using the pooper scooper. I'm not barefoot in January, but in the summer I am. While I'm talking about dog food, on occasion I run out of chicken, in the wintertime, I cook a cup of rice and mix half in each dog's bowl. They love the rice and warm food. I might just pre-cook rice and store it in the fridge during the summer. I don't know if it's good for them. It keeps half the world's population healthy. You may remember that I've always tried to have enough venison scraps to feed as frozen treats during the hot months. Being frozen, they can't just wolf it down, and I'm sure they enjoy something cold. I won't have to scrounge venison scraps anymore when I can freeze chicken at these prices. Hey, let's go hunting. This past October, I had more fun hunting pheasants and sharptails in South Dakota than I've had in the Intermountain region. Even pheasant hunting in Iowa was the best I've seen in a long time. I arrived in western South Dakota three days before the pheasant opener. I like to chase sharptails for a few days while inventorying pheasant numbers and evaluating walk-in covers. It's difficult to say if last season was the best sharp-tail numbers I've ever seen. Well, no it's not. I routinely flushed 40 to 60 grouse a day. In several hunts, the dogs put up 60 to 80 grouse from just a couple of hillsides. I think that would qualify as the best. But it was windy. It seemed that every day it was blowing at least 20. Hey, that reminds me, I was going to tell you about a day chasing grouse in a stubble field that I've hunted for several years. I usually found enough grouse for a limit, but only one rooster ever. I was working the downwind side with Maybe, and she was running hard in the tall grass along a bordering fence line. It's a lot of fun watching a pup trying to figure out bird scent in a strong wind. Anyway, she was whipping back and forth when a rooster flushed just a few feet in front of her. At first, I thought he was injured, as he only made it a couple feet off the ground and fell back. Maybe didn't know what to think about that. She stood on her hind legs, peering over the barbed wire, wondering how he disappeared. Then he bounced up again and still couldn't make it over the fence. 
I guess the wind was blowing about 30, and he was trying to flush with the wind at his back, but it would just drive him back down to the ground. By then, Maybe was through the fence searching for the mysteriously disappearing rooster. On his third attempt, he remained airborne, and then another pair of roosters flushed just a few yards away. As I was watching her trying to catch up to them and, and thinking that if this happened a couple of days from now, I could have had a limit of pheasants within 200 yards of the truck. That's when a pair of grouse flushed about 40 yards out in the stubble. I trotted out into the field when another pair flushed and I was able to knock down one bird. My gunshot further convinced Maybe that one of those roosters was bound to fall soon as she disappeared over the far hill. She's a good girl at heart, although a little too trusting in her expectation that a bird's going to fall every time I pull the trigger. I regrettably convinced her otherwise over the course of the week. I was afraid that the dead sharp tail might spoil before she returned, so I picked it up myself. Cover has to be tall and heavy before I stand around waiting for a wayward dog to return. She plopped down in front of me before I made it 100 yards, fully expecting me to quench her thirst. She could smell the bird in my coat and did her best to pull it out, which baffles me. I've never owned a springer that wasn't bat crazy for a retrieve. Oh, and yard work with tennis balls. She's manacle. Disclaimer, I launch tennis balls because they travel further than bumpers without blanks and they're cheaper to replace when half of my corded dummies are decorating oak trees in my yard. I wouldn't be surprised if bark hasn't grown over some of them. I have a Mech 33-foot rough terrain scissors lift that I'll have to employ this summer to replenish my supply. I remember I was talking about retrieving. Little Maybe just doesn't care that much about retrieving birds. She seldom brings one back to hand. Once she's within a few feet, she'll usually just drop the bird and go look for another. I hear ya. Forest fetch! Yeah, yeah. I'll give her another season. I'm convinced she'll grow out of it and soon be as possessive as chaos. She flushed a couple of singles too far out, and we ended the two-mile hike with that one bird. But... There was another field of standing corn with a couple of wide waterways with just the right height of grass for sharp tails. I had never hunted the far end of this field, so I drove to the top to see if the wide waterway had a tributary tying it into the top of the field. I drove the three quarters of a mile, and when I stopped my rig, sharp tails started pouring out from the ditches, the corn, and the grass. At least 20 birds went out before I could get my gun loaded and let chaos out. I shot one that crossed the waterway from corn to corn and refused shots at a couple more. I don't mind a freebie once in a while, but I'd just as soon work a little for most of my birds. It turned out to be only a little work as Chaos flushed a pair not 100 yards from our start. Rather than wrestle with her for the bird, I let her carry it all the way back to her crate. She even rode back to camp with her chin on it. The next morning, I walked pheasant cover trying to convince myself not to shoot any more grouse for the next couple of days. I was going to be hunting for seven continuous days, and I wanted to leave room in my grouse possession for a few combination limits with pheasants. Well, I sometimes suffer lapses in personal restraint when it comes to hunting far from home. In the afternoon, I stopped at a small piece that usually had a few grouse and pheasants, just as I pulled up, a pair of roosters were approaching the field entrance in the ditch. They had their horns up, threatening a confrontation that only guys would understand. 
One bird strutted right up to my rig. I hadn't even put it in park yet as I fumbled to get my phone out. He was only a few feet from my driver's side window, so I feared that putting my truck in park and shutting off the engine would cause him to flush. Nope. Well, lowering the window would. No. He paraded in front of me for maybe a minute before moving back in the ditch. I got as good a pictures as you could expect with a cell phone. I hope for their sake they'll be more cautious in two days when pheasant season opened. While all this was going on, a small flock of grouse flew into the stubble within sight of my truck. I watched them through my binoculars till they settled behind some round bales out of the wind. Well, I made it a half day without pulling the trigger, but these birds were taunting me. I couldn't take it. I let both pups out knowing I wouldn't stand a chance at a shot with the wind, short stubble, and two hellions on the ground, but another walk would be a good way to end the afternoon. The pups made a mess of the open field, but there was a nice draw over the hill with some light grass and brush that usually held the grouse and a few pheasants. Maybe was running the edge and chaos was in the bottom when a grouse flushed 20 yards in front of us. One thing about sharptails is you can count on them to flush into the wind no matter how hard it's blowing, and they'll continue to fight the wind when pheasants would turn after gaining a little altitude and sail away. I knocked him down just as he passed over my shoulder, and then maybe flushed another further out. I dropped him 30 yards in front of me as he quartered into the stubble. Chaos is a selfish little wench. My first bird fell just on top of the bank, and Chaos was nearly to it when I shot the second. She turned to see it fall near Maybe and abandoned her bird to deny Maybe a retrieve. That's her only vice that I would correct with a shock collar, if I'd allow myself to own one. Lucky Maybe avoided Chaos to make the full retrieve, and Chaos had completely forgotten about the first bird and started up a grassy waterway in the stubble. Two grouse went out way ahead of her, but then she put up another pair closer. I knew we had some sorting out to do. Chaos was all over that bird, but Maybe knew nothing of the over-the-shoulder bird that Chaos had abandoned. I called Maybe and trotted her to where the first bird fell. Soon Chaos joined her, carrying her stubble bird the whole time they searched for the cripple. Maybe was digging around under a cut bank and brush when she finally came out with the bird. Chaos ran up to me, dropped her bird, and went after Maybe. I was shouting at Chaos to knock it off. Once I had expressed my dissatisfaction with her trying to steal from Maybe, she determined that it would be okay for Maybe to hold the bird as long as she could pluck it. If you remember my stories about waiting for Chaos to release a bird when it was just the two of us, she was much more enthusiastic about keeping her birds when Maybe was present. I try now to only hunt them together when I don't have time to make more than one walk. They do work covered together quite well, hardly trespassing over each other's established ground, but Chaos suffers from anxiety if Maybe has a bird and Maybe just doesn't understand Chaos's aggression. When I'm not shooting, I love to watch the two of them cut up a field, but competing for retrieves isn't good for either of them. The last day before a pheasant opener, I noticed some walk-in that in the past had been simple overgrazed pasture, but now there was a hilltop planted in corn with a weedy outside edge. There just had to be grouse up there. West River dryland corn is height impaired. Without added water and nutrient-rich soil, 
The stalk struggled to leaf out or reach more than five feet in height. This corn looked more like rows of pickets than the Midwestern corn most of you are familiar with. That's why you'll often find sharp tails in standing corn like this. It was mid-afternoon and hot. The dogs were a little tired from our morning run, and with pheasant season opening the next day, I thought I'd give them a break and leave them both with the truck. I was up for some dogless exploring, and I could always stop back for the pups if I found birds. Finding birds didn't take long. Within sight of the truck, I had five sharp tails flush from the corn above and behind me. They were curling around the hill, so I should have held low. I did not. I missed with the first shot, adjusted, and knocked down the lagging bird. I didn't adjust enough. I know I often state that most sharp-tailed cripples are easy to locate even without a dog, but this bird had simply vanished once it hit the ground. After a few minutes of wandering, it was time to go get chaos. It was extremely dry in the early season, and I'm not sure that Chaos could have found that bird if she'd been with me at the shot, but we never did find it, not even when I circled all the way back to my rig and let Maybe out as well. Soon we were far beyond the flush site, and both dogs were making birds, Chaos on the outside edge of the fence line, and Maybe higher up the hill in the pickets. Maybe's birds went up first, and I dropped one, refusing to shoot again until it was in hand. Then Chaos flushed a pair, and I shot one of hers. In less than a minute, I had Maybe with a mouthful of bird from above, and Chaos with a limp bird of her own. It took a few minutes to properly store the birds in my game bag, and convince the pups that there were still more ahead. We no more than rounded a corner in the field when again both dogs were working separate birds. Maybe's went up first in the corn about 30 yards out, but then Chaos put up a pair 20 yards away along a fence. I took the easy bird, and after some finagling, I had it stowed with the other two in my coat. I had to pick Chaos up with one arm and convince her it was in her best interest to drop the bird in my hand. Saying she was reluctant is an understatement. There was just no way I could allow either of them to carry a bird back to the truck when both were out. I would have had to follow behind picking up the smaller pieces along the way. Now come on, my dogs aren't really that bad. I just embellish a little because I know how jealous you guys are of perfection. Have you guys ever committed the sin of burning walnut as firewood? I build cabinets, so I'm fully aware of the value of walnut lumber. At the airport, we had a grove of walnut trees that were never managed. The squirrels ensured that they would be overcrowded, and about a third of the trees died when they were 8 to 10 inches in diameter. Well, before I retired, the guys asked if I wanted to remove the standing dead trees. I have a fire burning in the fireplace as I'm speaking. It's safe to say I've burned every type of native tree in my area, but I never burned anything that flames as beautifully as this walnut. Never a crackle or a spark, and a couple of five-inch unsplit logs last hours. I almost feel guilty burning it without company to enjoy the fire. Fortunately, I have enough for a few years, so maybe I'll make some friends. There I go again, being mean to myself. I followed the pups with an empty gun for another half mile with both girls putting up sharp tails in range when I decided it was time for a picture at the truck. As I was putting the dogs and camera away, I heard a ranch truck approaching on the two-track through the corn. We talked for a spell about birds, deer, coyotes, and unappreciative non-resident hunters, 
When the rancher told me that if they ever pulled this ground out of the walk-in program, I should stop at the house and they'd still let me hunt. Tomorrow's the pheasant opener. I arrived at the same field that I'd hunted opening morning the past two seasons. If I couldn't shoot a combination limit here, I better pack up and move. I watched some guys with pointers and loud voices chasing dogs that were chasing grouse up till 10 a.m. I staked out on this two-track my first morning when assessing the bird population and cover conditions. There were grouse trading back and forth and a few pheasants picking grit and catching sun in the open. Not a lot of cackling, but there was no reason to not expect good pheasant numbers. I saw more than 50 in a six-mile drive from camp to this location that morning. In a good year, I could expect a combo limit just walking the dry drainage from the bottom. The upper end had a couple of dirt tanks that held water and cattails. I gave Chaos a cold hot dog at the truck and let Maybe out. I had yet to shoot a pheasant over Maybe, and she deserved an opening day chance at a limit. There was a nice flat in the first quarter mile between two intersecting valleys. I'd shot a few pheasants and a lot of grouse in there in the past, but this morning it didn't hold a single bird. Just beyond, Maybe flushed a single grouse and we were on the board. Halfway up the drainage, she was birdie on the far side and headed uphill in waist-high grass. She was working to her left, but then spun back and lunged uphill again to her right. That's when a grouse flushed from her abandoned left position, and I dropped it in the bottom. I should have stayed with, maybe. About 35 yards above and behind me, she flushed an old rooster. I wasn't too concerned. It wouldn't be possible to hunt to the top of this draw and not bag three roosters. Maybe found the dead bird, and I sat with her for a while, wetting her down with a water bottle. After sufficient apology for not staying with her, she went back to hunting. Halfway through, another old rooster running to a hilltop without a shot and another easy sharp tail in the bottom. Then a quarter mile through hot, sticky cattails, muck, and mud. A handful of hens flushed, but not a single rooster. We hit a two-track and walked it to the east for a quarter mile to a fence line that bordered pit sunflowers, and this fence line would surely give up two or three roosters on the way back to the rag. Yeah, right. A couple of hens and a handful of grouse. I shot my limit sharp tail that should make a guy happy, but there were sharp tails galore everywhere I hunted. I needed some cooperative roosters. There was another half section of walk-in where me and Maybe turned back, so I drove the rig, ate a quick sandwich, and turned chaos loose. Maybe wouldn't admit it, but it was hot and she was tired. I left her with a raw chicken thigh. I'm sure that no one had walked this ground before me. I'd have seen and heard them from across the way, but that didn't matter. I hit the old homestead with a half mile of shelter belt, the old corral that always held a couple of roosters then down a shallow draw to the back end of the main drainage and all the way to the cattail slew at the two-track. We only flushed a couple of grouse and hens. Just one rooster when we were about to leave, and I missed him. A straightaway bird that everyone else never misses, but I usually do. Maybe I'm sloppy thinking it can't be missed, or maybe I try too hard aiming a pointy gun. But then if one lonely rooster is all a cover like this can offer, I don't need it that bad. There wasn't anything more for me to do but rewalk the Cattail dirt tanks across the road. Yeah, the ones I hunted a few hours ago. 
All I could figure was the birds were spread out earlier, and by now in the heat, they would filter back to the low wet ground. Chaos was still hunting hard and dove into the cattails. Little Maybe hadn't flushed enough pheasants to know they liked the wet, muddy stuff. She'd poke her head inside the edge, splash around a little, and then out into more comfortable grass. Not chaos. I never had to say anything or motion. I don't know if she hated pheasants or loved them, but she'd stay in the tails until one or the other ran out. This was a good choice. We followed the winding slough for a hundred yards, but were still only fifty yards from the two-track when she got birdie. She was rooting and snorting like a sounder of pigs and scared three roosters out into the grass, right at my feet. I love the effort of trying to guess where the birds will flush and fly and position myself to cut them off if running, yet still have the best opportunity if one slips out where I don't expect it. None of that was a problem with this flush. The first rooster popped out five feet in front of me and circled to my right. It would be a while before I could shoot. Then the other two popped up flying to my left. It's hard to break away from your initial decision. I kept my right eye on that first bird, and when I thought he hit 25 yards, I dropped him. I immediately swung on the far left bird and dropped him at 30 yards. The last rooster was circling back to my right and about to go over a berm, and I missed him. I really wanted a clean triple. I've shot dozens of doubles, but a chance at a triple when you still have three birds to take doesn't happen often. I don't even remember the last time it did. Chaos had scooped up the second bird and was bouncing around to see if there were more birds in, in the cattails. I was circling back uphill to the first bird I shot when I heard someone call out. There was a young guy standing by a car on the two-track asking if I needed help. I told him I was sure the bird was dead, but I hadn't found it yet. He motioned back to his friend, still in the car, and said they'd be out to help look. By the time they reached us, I had Chaos's bird, and we were looking too close for the right bird. I thought I hit him at 25, but he was over 30 yards away when he flattened the grass in a fanned-out flying pose. I knew when the boys offered to help search that it would lead to a, Do you mind if we hunt with you? I had six hours to shoot a last rooster so I could spend a couple helping these guys find a bird of their own. I sent one guy to the far side of the wet ground, the other to my right in the hill grass, and I stayed with chaos on the low side, in the mud. As we walked, they told me they had already walked this slough after I had. They wanted the three of us to hunt on the top edge of the field in some really tall, thick grass. I explained that I had walked miles of that cover earlier, and the only roosters I found were in the wet stuff. When we got to the last dirt tank, the guys begged off, saying they were going uphill. I wished them luck. It wasn't ten minutes later when chaos bolted into an isolated patch of tails and rousted out a pair of roosters. One went left and the other right. I waited out the left bird because it was on her side of the slough, and just before I shot, a third rooster flushed straight away. I shot the left bird, and then a fourth flushed from the bottom. All four birds, like the last three, were in easy gun range, and all three birds in my bag were last year's birds with long tails and spurs. One of them had five-eighths-inch spurs, and I think I shot five or six roosters last year. I know five-eighths isn't monstrous. I've shot a few of them that were seven-eighths, and I think one that had, they were just over seven-eighths, but... 
I think for the number of birds I shot last year, I shot a lot of, even in Iowa, a lot of old adult birds. Anyway, I looked back to see if the boys were watching, but they hadn't climbed the hill at all. They were back at their car. It's too bad they hadn't stayed with me a little longer. They both would have had good shots at that flush. The next morning, I started with maybe a couple miles from the opening day hunt. While I was waiting for 10 a.m., I saw a rooster step across the two-track and walk into an outside corner of heavy grass 100 yards from us. This was 400 acres of tall, thick grass along the side hills and bottom, but the top was mowed and baled. I expected this bird to be an easy locate and flush for maybe. Well, that didn't happen. We worked back and forth in the corner, but she didn't give any indication a bird was close. Down into the heavy stuff and up a cut with weedy brush clumps every hundred yards, but no birds. She finally flushed a grouse from cover way too thick and tall for sharp tails. We sat in the grass together with the bird that I wished had been a rooster. I couldn't figure out where the pheasants were, so we cut up top to walk the outside edge back. Maybe it flushed very few pheasants into our second season, but quite a few of everything else. Everything else that favors shorter, more open cover than pheasants. So she, so she ran around the open hay ground chasing meadow larks and grasshoppers. She bumped a pair of grouse a little too far out, and after a healthy chase was circling back and stumbled into a single. That bird didn't show much respect for my range and flew too close. He bounced like a basketball when he hit the ground and maybe was snapping at the rolling bird and loose feathers. The poor girl didn't know what she was missing, not finding pheasants. Now there was a couple of times in the tall grass that she stopped and perked up staring into the grass. I think it was wrong of me believing that when nothing flushed, it was just mice. We were back to the corner near the truck where we couldn't find that rooster when she stopped and stared again. This time I encouraged her and she bound fox-like in the air, coming down with all four feet together. Her head was swiveling back and forth and she jumped again to the side. This time a cackling rooster burst out in her face. I had lots of time to let the bird get to 25 yards and hit him hard. This would be her first pheasant retrieve and I wanted him dead. That bird flustered her and she didn't have any idea how far away it fell. She was hunting dead 10 yards from where it flushed. I let her be and wandered over to make sure it was dead, and it was, and then went back following her for several minutes before she worked her way to the fall. Hunting with young dogs is as close as a childless guy will come to being in the lap of pure joy. My dogs, our dogs, celebrate birds and hunting like children do Christmas. There was another walk-in that had been in the program for many years but was always mowed flat as far as you could see from the road. I'd hunted some of the bordering private with Bo a dozen years ago but couldn't remember whether the backside had any cover or not. I let Maybe out to explore and she took off down the outside fence. Over the hill, then over the next hill. I could hear grouse flushing almost constantly and gave up on keeping in range. Then a single crossed in front of me and I shot it. I stuffed it in my coat and sat down to wait for her return. Her tongue was slapping her knees when she stopped back to get reacquainted. I gave her plenty of water but would not let her drag the grouse out of my game bag. Over the hill there was a half mile strip of tall cover paralleling a posted picked sunflower field. I decided to explore the rest of the section and wait till the last hour to work that roosting cover. 
There were a lot of grouse in this mowed field. Sixty or eighty birds left at the bequest of maybe. There was a lake in the back with woody cover and cattails. You'd have thought there'd be a rooster or two in there, but just a few hands. We were cutting through some mid-calf grass to hit the roosting cover when she got birdie, but I didn't follow. I had picked up another grouse, and this wasn't pheasant cover. Well, yeah, it kind of was. Maybe ran a large loop always just out of range and flushed three single roosters and several hens from the wimpy stuff. I figured that was okay because there had to be a lot more in that thicker roosting cover. We walked till the sun went down and failed to flush a single bird where they should have been. Shame on me. The next morning, I had to go back in there with chaos. She did a great job trailing two roosters for more than 100 yards, but I second-guessed where they'd go and got an iffy shot at one of them. Iffy is synonymous with very difficult. I missed. Then I was late getting around a corner of trees, and chaos was already through two fences and flushed four roosters at 50 yards. By the time I caught up, she flushed a late single, and I drew feathers as he sailed over a hill. I hadn't made it back this far the day before with Maybe, and was surprised to see a long cattail slough winding through the hills. That explained what all the birds were doing here. Chaos was swallowed up, and I couldn't see her for several minutes. I hooked up to a dirt tank dike for elevation, and just as I was ready to blow the whistle, I could see her working her way back a hundred yards out. She had that rooster that I clipped just a few minutes earlier. I let her rest up and we began to walk the slough. In less than 50 yards, she flushed a rooster that crossed in front of me, then around a bend and another that flew down the length of cattails. I'd rather not shoot birds in the thick stuff, but chaos had flushed way too many roosters to have to keep hunting. Both of the last birds hit the ground dead. I forgot to mention, there were grouse in this field again, dozens and dozens. I just let chaos chase and didn't shoot. I knew where there was another field I wanted to try with maybe. Maybe topped the first mowed hill, and there was a patch of taller grass along the fence. She flushed a grouse at 30 yards and had fun with the retrieve. Uncharacteristic of a springer, maybe didn't care to love up her birds. She was getting sloppier with every bird. If she was in the open, she'd just drop, where, drop the bird wherever. Yeah, I know. Force fetch! You guys are getting... Old. I would like to say some good dog work and shooting finished a combination limit of pheasants and grouse, but there were a lot of grouse in the next valley, and I missed a gimme while maybe was running psychedelic patterns with birds flying everywhere. Once I got her settled down, she flushed a pair at 30 yards and we were finished. The next morning, I took maybe to a checkerboard field of mode and standing cover. Again, the mode stuff was full of grouse, but so was our possession limit. In the back, we found a couple of dirt tanks 200 yards apart and a string of cattails connecting them. I thought this was going to be quick and easy. It wasn't either. She flushed a couple of hens, but she just didn't know to dive into the thick mud to find roosters. I like dry boots, so I refused to go in to prove it to her. I thought it would be okay. There had to be enough roosters in the patches of thick grass. We walked uphill to start in the middle of about 60 acres and maybe got birdie right at the fence. In less than a minute, she had a young rooster in the air, but again, she didn't mark him well. Neither did I. I know most guys overestimate the range they shoot birds at. I underestimate. 
He was dead at least 10 yards further up the hill than I thought. Now, maybe doesn't have the broad chest of chaos, which enables her to cut her way through thick grass, while chaos has to knock it down like a lab. A short-legged lab. Even with chaos's muscular frame, she was easier to keep up with than maybe. I know I should whistle train both my dogs to hop on a running bird, but I rely on them realizing that I can't kill a bird if they flush it beyond 40 yards and hope that they'll hunt accordingly. Pitch, bow, woogs, and critter all learned that on their own. Chaos was slow, but getting better. But so far, all Maybe had learned was that most of the time she hears a bang, there's a bird to pick up. Luckily, this bird wasn't a runner. Maybe had him in the air at what I thought was 25 yards, and I was pretty sure I knocked him down within another five. We were in the next patch of cover, and just over the hill from some ground I mentioned earlier. This time, Maybe bounded right on top of him. I saw the grass stop moving, but it appeared she wasn't coming back. That was okay as long as she had the bird. She had a foot on him and she was just about wore out. I watered her up and we sat in the grass together for a long time. This was our last day in South Dakota and we only needed one more rooster. Over that hill was the picked flower field bordered by heavy walk-in grass, the same stuff we hunted a couple days ago and didn't find a rooster in. On the way, she flushed seven sharp tails in range from the short cover, and I don't know how many flushed wildly. More than a lot. There were random flushes of grouse the entire morning, and I could have easily taken a limit. Our first trip through the redemption cover pushed a rooster up out of range that landed in the fence line bordering private. On a return pass, maybe left the tall stuff running 30 yards into the wind across mowed hay. She was headed for a small patch of weeds in a low spot. I knew I couldn't get close soon enough, so I just watched. She was ripping her way around those weeds, but no bird came out. Then she had her head down, running as fast as she could back into my cover. She disappeared in a dip 60 yards away as I hustled up a rise. I heard the flush and cackling. It was getting nearer, but I knew I would only see it for a couple seconds as it passed through a dip in front and below me. If he hadn't cackled, he would have lived. There was no way I saw enough feathers to realize it was a rooster. He disappeared at my shot and didn't reappear further out, so I knew I hit him. Maybe and me met where he disappeared and she was bouncing like she saw him fall. I found feathers, but no bird so I encouraged her to search downhill the direction he was flying. She would work down a few yards and then run back uphill. I followed her for a while, but she didn't appear to be on scent, so left her to continue looking for a trail of feathers. Maybe I'd been gone for several minutes and I wasn't finding feathers, so I walked up high to locate her. I couldn't see her, so pulled my whistle out. I blew and waited, then blew some more. I wasn't worried about losing her. This cover was long but narrow. She'd pop out in the open soon. I was more concerned with finding the bird than the dog. As I turned to go back to the area of the fall, I saw Maybe coming up from behind me. She had our limit rooster, her first personal limit rooster. I know I've said before that you can count on two responses from a cripple. They'll move downhill or in the direction they were flying. Maybe had to have found this bird uphill in the opposite direction he was flying. She'd been missing for more than five minutes, so he was likely a long ways in the opposite direction. I'm sorry, I don't have time to get into pheasant hunting in Iowa, but 
you know, like I always promise. Uh, Iowa pheasant hunting's coming shortly. I'm Randy Shepard, and if anyone asks who you're listening to, please speak kindly of my dog hunts.